The power of artists is extraordinary. It is politically very powerful. Artists have been fundamental in so many ways around major change. From the University of Melbourne, this is Expert Hack, a show about the changing world of work and how industry experts are finding clever solutions to tricky problems. I'm Ali Moore. Today, how artists are influencing areas like politics and social change and what you can learn from artists about how to shape people's opinions. I'm speaking with artist Professor Sally Smart. I began by asking Sally about her current projects on display in Melbourne. Actually, right now at the Margaret Lawrence Gallery, you will find two bodies of work sitting in conversation with each other. One, the pedagogical puppet, and two, the most recent work. And um, the pedagogical puppet started a number of years ago when I was invited to the University of Connecticut to be an artist in residence. At that time, I asked them to paint one of the walls of the gallery, which would be my studio, black, like a blackboard, you know, working with within a university. I was to work around, you know, thought about the pedagogical puppet, who would be the puppet, me or them, but that's the framework that I was going to set up. The long and the short of that is that you will see that over five years, I have actually And all these different places, I have built a sort of a whole representation around dance, movement, choreographers' drawings, and they are all there in this blackboard. And I guess that's what's amazing about this exhibition is that it's so reflective of the work that you do more broadly. And I want to look at the cutting in a minute. But first of all, the idea of the blackboard, how confronting is that for an artist? Because what is inside your head, you are allowing out and you are sharing with your audience. That's not common. No. And in fact, that's exactly what I wanted to do. It was actually a very, very decisive decision at that time. I thought, I am going to reveal my process, my thinking, and be in that space. That comes across very strongly in this exhibition and how that has grown, how that thinking has changed and and what I've added to that. And I also collaborate with a writer and cultural historian, Maria Tamarkin, who's at the University of Melbourne, creative writing. And over that period of time and through our collaborations, I will add her texts onto the board as well. So you'll see me writing notes, you'll see fragments of other texts, but you'll also see other people's texts that have reflected on my work. The focus on cutting, you call it the politics of cutting. How did you come to that? It goes back quite a way, actually, to maybe 1991. And I was interested to look at issues of identity and, of course, feminist politics and also the unstable nature of identity. How do we view identity, you know, personally and politically, publicly? Remember very strongly, I was sort of wanting to make ideas, if you like, um, assemblages of identity. And because I wanted to position it within women, I sort of had these cutout elements around clothing, actually, which is quite interesting. You think about what's happened in more recent times, but um, in terms of my work. So I cut out clothes and I pin them onto the wall using metaphors, uh, medical metaphors, along with metaphors around the paper doll cut out, you know, anatomical metaphors as well, the paper cut out assemblages, you know, to look inside the body. And I pin them on, but then I wanted you to take the pin out or I would take the pin out and change it. So it was assembling and disassembling. Absolutely. And so it was the fact that you could see that it could be disassembled that was really important conceptually at that time. As I said, I started to look at metaphors of cutting, cutting 
the body's scarification and cutting inside and anatomy. And also then I started to look at the psychological aspect of cutting and the issues around self-harm and this reference to the psychological through delicate cutting, scarification, self-harm. But often that is also about revealing the marks. And that's also been quite interesting, I think, philosophically for me through this whole process. I've always liked to show the marks of cutting in my collage as well. It's a bit like... um, Wanting to reveal rather than conceal something. So the question then becomes, I guess, the skills to become an artist like yourself and to be able to think and then from that thinking create, are they skills that you can teach? Yes, I think you can. I I think you can totally, I feel like you can. You do have to be receptive. You do have to be, I think not everybody does it the same way and I would never imagine that my trajectory is the same that someone else's trajectory is because everyone's experiential is quite different. But there are some things that can be taught and there are definitely things about engagement in the world and giving a licence in a way, I often think, to um, investigate, to be curious, that you can make art out of the most obvious and most simplest things or the most complex. And I think that you can teach that. I think you can. And I think you can be, obviously, you can teach criticality. You can teach about being in those spaces of thinking and those spaces of pedagogy. You can think about it and also present new models to people. I think those things can be taught. And there's a role for universities in that? Totally. Absolutely. I wouldn't be the artist today if I hadn't gone to the VCA and then my master's at the University of Melbourne, without a doubt. And it was the people that I came in contact with, the pathways that I found through research. I was open to that. But I think if anyone, I think most people who are wanting to be engaged are open. So I found incredible pathways. It is truly extraordinary. I mean, you also made the point very early in this conversation that uh, it was interesting that you started with fashion, given what's happened recently in your career. And uh, I guess what you're referring to there is the fact that a number of your pieces have been picked up by the luxury Italian fashion house Mani, who have taken some of your images for their clothing and accessories. What, what is it like to see your work on a handbag, albeit a very expensive handbag? It's quite extraordinary, actually. It's been um, it's a, been an amazing collaboration. They have chosen four images from men's and women's range and um, made quite a number of garments, actually, and bags. <laughs> but one of the things I gave them the rights to do was cut them up, which is, of course... From one cutter to I another. <laughs> exactly. And they were very grateful for that. But they had been um, looking at my work for some time, and they, but they did a really beautiful interpretation. It wasn't just putting the, the, the images on the clothes. There was definitely also an interpretation of my work within a particular range. So I thought that was really wonderful. And that has happened increasingly around the world where great fashion houses like Mani are looking to visual artists and looking at their output of work. And I mean, there's always been a relationship. I mean, it was a very early relationship between Sonia Delaunay, for instance, you know, the great avant-garde woman artist who, whose work I love a great deal. So it's always been there. It wasn't really very difficult for me to say yes. <laughs> but does it open, if not other doors, it must increase your exposure enormously. Oh, totally. Around the world now, I get images sent to me on Instagram, for instance. There are just images constantly from Japan to in Turkey and India's just doing an article in India Vogue, I think. There are people sending me images of themselves in changing rooms. 
<laughs> in my garments, you know, friends, um, there are people wearing my clothes all around the world. Absolutely. It's extraordinary. So when we, we look beyond your body of work and we look at artists more generally, I mean, what do you think about the power artists have to create a bigger picture? I guess not even just to provoke thought, but to do even more than that, perhaps even change opinions. The power of artists is extraordinary. It is a politically very powerful, or it can also be just quite subtle in its, um, I think, around identification with something or to feel like you might belong in terms of all sorts of issues. And you think about the environment or um, gender or the politics with um, changing in a very active, as activists as well. I mean, artists have been fundamental in so many ways around major change with Indigenous rights. And um, all of these things are extraordinary in their strength to make manifest in the world. I mean, an artist will put something out there in the world. You can't always know how it's going to be received. I mean, you've got an idea, maybe, but it's really up to interpretation as well. Sometimes it gets confused around an artist and making political art or political statements. And um, there are some artists that are very political in their outlook and their thinking and even in their activism. So what, they start with the thought or the point yeah, or before that, the, the art? Or, or they're active. They're activists because of their their politics and their thinking in the world, their sensitivity to the world, sensitivity to issues in the world. But they may make art that is completely non-representational. It might be completely abstract. And so it isn't always about making a political image as such. It's about having living a political life. And um, I think that's really, really important to make that distinction sometimes for artists. So they don't always have to be representing it literally. It can be about a life lived. You know, it can be in music and it can be in dance as well. But it's powerful. It's totally powerful. Given where you are today and given how much success you've had, what would you say, how would you advise someone starting out and someone starting out who doesn't just want to be creative and use their art to tell a story, fundamentally also to make a living? I think with a digital age, I think some of the new paradigms around work for artists, we're just at the absolute beginning of, I think that there are increasingly young people being able to monetize their practice. And I really would stress that that may be with some sort of collaboration that they can do that. I think in a collaborative sense, it would be great, whether it's with writers, producers, makers in different ways. I think there's a pathway for that. And then making their own their own work still in the most critical environment that I would want them to do it in, not to dilute that in any way. But I do also want them to be in the world globally. Engaged. Totally in the world. I want them to go forth into Asia. I want them absolutely to do that. We're so there, so close. You know, that's fundamental. So with all of those things, yes. I mean, I want them to be active and I want them to collaborate and I want them to collaborate here and there and then that cross, you know, fertilisation that happens. Yeah. If you enjoyed this conversation, take a look at episode seven in the series, why the best teachers actually learn from their students and why you should be open to learning from even the most unexpected sources. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or in your favourite podcast app. Expert Hack is a podcast from the University of Melbourne, where the Melbourne model is preparing students for the world beyond their degree. Learn more at unimelb.edu.au slash experthack.